Coming up on Stu Does America. Now, we all obviously know you can't have non-people of color voicing or portraying characters of color in popular media. But did you know that even black people can't play black people anymore? Did you know that? You'll find out about it tonight. Allie Beth Stuckey swings through the studio to talk about her upcoming book and remind us that the millennial generation isn't completely lost. And Pat Gray, who also happens to be a millennial, joins us to discuss the state of sports and Crazy Uncle Joe's upcoming vice presidential pick. It's Friday, so here's a present. You can watch this show for free on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com, search Stu, and I'll be the first one there. Be sure to comment on and like all the videos, even this one you're watching right now before you change your mind or I say something that pisses you off. Podcast listeners, I know you love to be featured on the show. At the end, we usually do that. So keep rating us five stars and leaving excellent reviews or honestly, even reviews that are just great, whatever, you know. Uh, we've got some good ones coming up today. And uh, help keep this idiotic show on the air with a subscription to Blaze TV. Just her, you know, just go over to blazetv.com uh, slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you'll save 10 bucks. Just when you think Hollywood idiocy can't sink American culture any lower, they grab a shovel and some blasting caps. Tonight, the epitome of celebrity stupidity. Stu does America. Once upon a time, there was racism. It was bad. For all those church-going types out there, you might have noticed racism being explicitly denounced in a little book that you can usually find in the top drawer of bedside tables in most hotel rooms. So while racism has been around for a very long time, it has thankfully decreased in a substantial way in recent human history. People started judging others by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. This created a real economic hardship for those who make their living on racial strife. And therefore, we needed a new definition of what would constitute racism. But how can we figure it out? It's easy when you know the rules. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White supremacist extreme. It's easy, of course, to know if something is racist when everything is racist. For example, was Zoe Saldana racist for portraying singer Nina Simone in a 2016 film? Why, yes. Yes, she was. Why? Because everything is racist. That's why. Now, if you're an old-timey, hood-wearing conservative, you might just ask yourself, what is racist about a black woman portraying a black woman? Great question. Let me see if I can walk you through the advanced physics degree you need to have to understand it. You see, Zoe Saldana is of Puerto Rican, Lebanese, Dominican, and Haitian descent. For anyone who has been to Haiti, you may have seen the occasional individual that identifies as black. Approximately 95% of the population does so. One might think this would be enough, but one would be wrong. And now... Finally, Zoe Saldana has realized the poisonous air of her ways. I should have never played Nina. Mm. I should have never played Nina. Um, I should have done everything in my power with the leverage that I had 10 years ago, which was a different leverage, but it was leverage nonetheless. I should have tried everything in my power to cast a black woman to play 
an exceptionally perfect black woman. Mm. Mm. Okay, first things first. Nina Simone was not exceptionally perfect. Where did I learn such a thing? In a movie about her where she was portrayed by Zoe Saldana. She's a complicated lady. Tell him to give me my money! Drinks, smokes, she's out of shape. Want to go to the gym? (laughs) No. First of all, that's exactly how I answered that same question. No fault there. Maybe I should have been given the role of Nita Simone. I mean, has anyone even asked me? No. But okay, as silly as it is sometimes, I can at least understand why you might not want to cast a white person as a black person or a black person as a white person. But you might ask, isn't Zoe Saldana black? Let's ask Zoe Saldana. That, it's growing. It's painful. I thought back then that I thought back then that I I was I, I had I had the permission because I was a black woman and Wait. I am. Oh, but I but it was Nina Simone. <laughs> OK, excuse me, uh, Zoe, just so you know, you're an adult. You don't need anyone's permission to take an acting job. But listen to this craziness. Zoe Saldana is saying herself that she is a black woman. She is literally identifying as a black woman. I thought that's all you needed to do. She says she is a, quote, black woman, but it was Nina Simone. By this logic, the only person able to play Nina Simone would be Nina Simone. And that's a problem because she doesn't have the singing voice she used to due to death. With this standard, the only movie that would be okay to make would be private parts with Howard Stern because everyone was playing themselves. Although Stern was portraying a much younger Howard Stern, so maybe even that would be ageist. By the way, this Nina Simone insanity is not new, and Zoe Saldana used to be somewhat sane about it. When this controversy first started, she said, Let me tell you, if Elizabeth Taylor can be Cleopatra, I can be Nina. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how much backlash I will get for it. I will honor and respect my black community because that's who I am. And when the idiocy raged on, she later said, quote, there's no one way to be black. You have no idea who I am. I am black. I am raising black men. Don't you ever think you can look at me and address me with such disdain? Okay, makes lots of sense. She is black. She has black children. She can probably play a black woman. But you see, that whole time, Zoe was just processing. I know better today, and I'm never going to do that again. Never. It's rare. But I'm learning. I'm still processing. I've been processing it for 10 years. Ah, processing for 10 years. Apparently, Zoe Saldana is the Microsoft Outlook of of acting. I mean, that's the way it goes. This is just insane, people. I know these Hollywood dolts can be annoying. But look at this. These crazy standards are making a black woman cry over making millions of dollars portraying a black woman. Nina had a life and she had a journey that should have been and it should be honored to the most specific detail because she was a specifically detailed individual about her voice and her opinions and her views and her music and her art and she was so honest so she deserved better 
Mm. And mm. but that said, so mm. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Because I love her music. It wasn't enough. She made it enough. I will say she does have a point there. Nina Simone probably did deserve better. I mean, the movie has a crisp 2% on Rotten Tomatoes. We should judge Zoe not on the color of her skin, but on the quality of her acting. We've entered a parallel dimension here. We are lighting this civilization on fire. At the end of all this, it's just going to be me and you looking around and realizing we're the last people on Earth who haven't gone completely nuts. And you know where we'll be doing it? Uh, inside of a padded cell where we live out the rest of our lives in a straitjacket. Because when you think you're the only sane one, everyone else usually loads you into the back of a van and brings you to the crazy house. So, instead of that future, let's just go the other way. Sure, Zoe Zaldana apologized for playing a black woman, but is that enough? She has not felt it necessary to apologize for portraying the daughter of Bernie Mac, an African-American man, in the 2005 remake of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. The film's plot is literally about a white man and woman bringing home a black man and woman and racial hijinks that ensue. Is that funny to you, Zoe? She also has not felt it necessary to apologize for portraying the daughter of Chris Rock, an African-American man, in the 2010 remake of Death at a Funeral. She also hasn't apologized for making that crappy movie, which might be worse than racism. Guess what else? She also has not felt it necessary to apologize for portraying Aisha Al-Fadil in the movie based on the comic book The Losers in 2010. Despite the comic character being of Middle Eastern descent, raised in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And don't you dare tell me that being part Lebanese qualifies her to play someone from Afghanistan and or Pakistan. Not all Middle Eastern people are the same, you bastard. How about Lieutenant Uhara? How about that? You know her from the Star Trek reboots? That role was originally being played by Nichelle Nichols in the 70s, an African-American woman. Not only is that not right for the same reasons I didn't understand before, but Zoe Saldana was never an astronaut. You know what else she isn't? Green. So why the hell hasn't she apologized for portraying green-skinned Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy and the Avengers, despite not being a member of the Zuhobri assassin race, which I'm totally familiar with and not just reading? And she's also not blue. So what the hell was she doing playing the blue-skinned Neytiri in Avatar? despite not being a member of the Navi race from Pandora. Just because you have tail sex with a tree does not mean you get to trample all over authentic experiences of those blue creatures in that movie that everybody saw, but no one remembers. Come on, Zoe Saldana might be the most problematic actor since Kevin Spacey. And at least, I don't know, Kevin Spacey gave us the usual suspects. And for all you Spacey fans out there who are a bit out of touch with the news, I have something very unfortunate to tell you. He faked his handicapped in that movie. He faked it the whole time. A monster. We have entered the age of the new racism. That's right. Old racism wasn't racist enough. This time, racism is coming for us all. I think the point is clear. 
when you're a person of visibility, whether an actor, singer, sports star, or politician, you are never going to be woke enough. You will never be accepting enough. And as Joe Biden has helpfully pointed out, you will never be black enough. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White supremacist extreme. Happy to welcome back on the program, Allie Beth Stuckey. She's the host of Relatable right here on Blaze TV, as well as the author of the upcoming book, You're Not Enough. And that's okay. Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, available next Tuesday, August 11th. Allie, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is like a big moment and you seem really chill. Like the, your, your first book is coming out like I on know. Tuesday. Well, it's been about two years in the making. So two years ago, I got an email from publishers at Penguin saying, have you ever thought about writing a book? And my answer was yes, but it's gone through a really long process. I don't know. I didn't know before writing it that it could go through this long of a process of <laughs> brainstorming and writing and editing and all of that. But Yes, I'm chill, but I am very excited for it to finally be out there in the world. All right. Why did you write the book? I wrote this book. So as you read, it's about escaping the toxic culture of self-love. And I host a podcast, Relatable. We talk about politics, culture, theology from a Christian conservative perspective. A lot of the women that listen to my podcast reached out to me a couple years ago and said, have you tackled this subject of self-love? I see it everywhere. I see it in the church, within women's ministries, but I'm also seeing it from politicians or cultural influencers, self-help gurus on Instagram. It sounds good. It sounds really liberating, this idea that in order to be successful and fulfilled and happy, I first have to love myself and everything about me. But is that true? And more importantly, is it biblical? So I started to dig into this idea of self-love. And really what I found is that the the um, mantra that's underneath all of these messages of, for example, you're perfect the way you are, or you determine your own truth, or you can't love other people until you love yourself, is this message that says that you are enough. You're sufficient for your own fulfillment and happiness. And it's just not true. If inside of ourselves, we find these really real feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, the answer to those things won't also be found inside of ourselves. The self can't be both the problem and the solution. So we have to look outside of ourselves, namely the book argues to God to find out who we are and what we're worth. It's really interesting. I mean, the, the second I saw the title, I was like, that's a great concept. You Thank know, you. It, it really is. I mean, because this is America right now. It's, right. it's especially in the world of social media. And the first thing I thought about when I saw when I saw when I saw the title of your book was Pinterest. Yeah, so it's like exactly. Everyone, everyone posts these like nice flowery, flowery sort of quotes, and it's it's inspiring and it makes you feel good. It does. And part of it, I, you look at I think as an, an an observer that doesn't you know isn't looking past the surface and say this is positive. Like yeah. why I don't I shouldn't be hating myself, right? Exactly. How are you finding? How are you drawing the distinction between some might be positive aspects and what is the really under underlying truth? Well, you're right in that I think that most of the people that give these kind of messages that you are enough and you just need to love yourself and focus on yourself and prioritize yourself do have good intentions 
intentions because we do, especially as women, we deal with insecurity, feeling like we don't measure up. You know, there was definitely a time growing up where you look at advertisements and you're like, I'm never going to look like that. Sure. I'm never going to be all of these things. And so this message that you're enough is a reply to that. And it sounds like a good reply. Mm -hmm. The problem is we know that we're not just in a very practical way. We don't have the time, the energy, the talent, the ability to be everything that we have to be in a 24 hour day well or, or in, in in the competent way that we want to be. Sure. We are always failing, falling. We have flaws. So we know that we're insufficient. The question is, do we need to, in order to have confidence and happiness, convince ourselves of a sufficiency that we know isn't there? Or I believe the better option is, is to realize that we're not enough, that we are flawed, that we are fallible, that God made us that way, and to rely on his sufficiency and strength and sanctification and salvation um, for everything that we need. That is where we get our confidence, not based on our enoughness, which changes every day, right. but based on God's enoughness, which never changes. And it's, it's interesting because when you go through life, I, I think everybody does this at some point or another. You're going through a tough time. You're going yeah. through something that you can't, you can't beat. You can't get over some bad habit you have, whatever it is. And every day you wake up and you say to yourself, today's a day. I'm not going to do that today. Yeah. I'm not going to screw this up. I'm a failure. You kind of go through that and you beat yourself up on yeah. it. And so there's a natural part of you that wants to push back the other way and say, yeah. today I'm going to do it. But we all see ourselves fail. Why can't we recognize that? Yes. And I think that that's a good point that you bring up because I always want to clarify this. The book is not about embracing self-loathing or self-deprecation right. or like glorifying your inadequacy because God did make all of us with particular gifts and talents and strengths. And there is some truth to saying, you know what? God did equip me to do this thing and I am going to be confident in what he has equipped me to do. But what I am encouraging people to do is rather than finding confidence in yourself and what you think about you, which as we've established changes sometimes every second mm -hmm. to rely on God and who he is, which doesn't change, and what he thinks of you, which uh, according to uh, according to the fact that he sent his son to die for us, he thinks pretty highly of the people that he created. So it is just taking our eyes off of ourselves and looking to Christ and what he has done. And that's just such a, a, a more solid place to put our feet than self-love, which is really flimsy and superficial. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, it's interesting because you're, you're kind of investigating a really interesting intersection between not just like the self, there's like the self-love uh, uh, sort of thing that you're pointing out. Um, and that I think is as it, re it re relates to the faith part of your of your uh, argument um, is interesting is it is there's a little bit of a I don't know if it's a, it's an intersection between that and, and maybe the a base conservative principle that would say personal responsibility is really important yeah um, you know working as hard as you can you can do it if you work as hard as you can yeah there's a, le a message from the left that says no matter how hard you work you're never going to get there yeah where, where how does that relate to kind of the, the issues that we talk about when you're talking about conservative issues. Yes. So there is, I, I would say, so one of the myths that we talk about in the book is this myth that you are entitled to your dreams. And I would say this is probably the most like bipartisan myth mm. that you have people, young people from both sides of the aisle who believe that they are entitled to their dream job, to their dream life on the left that might manifest itself in saying, well, I am entitled to whatever wage I want. I'm entitled to free college on the right. There's still this belief that 
if I want to be a social media influencer, entrepreneur that makes six figures a year, then I deserve that kind of life. Right. And when you don't get it, both sides see it as a kind of injustice or some kind of prejudice against them. When in reality, our parents, their generation didn't see work that way. It was just something that you did to provide for yourself, to provide for your family. And so both sides, I think, sometimes have a warped view of work, which is something that God created as something that's really good that existed before sin that we are all created and called to do. So in that sense, yes, individualism, self-reliance, that rugged individualism yeah. that conservatism is based on is true that God did give you personal responsibilities. He did put you on this plot of earth, this spot of eternity to make it better, to cultivate it. He absolutely called you to do that. But you realize even in your role that he has called you to, that you're still going to mess up and you're still going to be flawed and you're still going to fail and only relying on that individualism, only relying mm. on yourself. You know, it's not going to work on a practical sense. You got to rely on your friends and family and community. You know that. But in a spiritual sense, you can work really hard and be responsible and do all the things that you're called to do in this life and still be spiritually empty. And in that way, you're definitely not enough. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I was uh, as I'm thinking about the concept of this, you could kind of see it, I think, at its base level of taking people from emptiness and essentially bringing them yeah. back to, to religion, to spirituality, to faith. But in another way you could look at it is you're almost taking people from one faith to another. Yeah. This faith of self-love that has been popularized on social media and is, I think, so in everybody's face all the yeah. time is almost at the level of a religion at this point. Yes. I call it in the book, the cult of self-affirmation, which basically mm. preaches self-fulfillment. But more than that, it also preaches that you determine your own truth and your own morality. Yeah, yeah. The highest values I talk about in the book are autonomy and authenticity. These two things by themselves are not bad, but when they're not subjected to absolute truth, then you get something like abortion in the name of autonomy. You mm. get something like the crazy gender movement in the name of authenticity. So these things, uh, when you are worshiping the God of self, they lead you awry. But when you're worshiping the God of uh, scripture are good. Yeah. Uh, yes, that is the, that's a great summary. Um, is it when he, so let's go to uh, social justice here because you go into that and it's been something that we talked about a lot in the political yeah. um, realm. And I th it's really important to talk about there, but it's not just political. No, it's not just political. I always recommend to people Thomas Sowell's quest for cosmic justice. Mm -hmm. He breaks it down really well that when people say social justice, what they're typically talking about is not what we as conservatives and as Christians know to be justice, you know, equal justice under the law. It is this strange equation of a redistribution of power from perceived privileged groups to perceived underprivileged groups, which is not actually just. And it typically doesn't produce just outcomes. But we see this today crying out for justice. And a lot of times what they mean is redistribution or even some kind of revenge. Well, our definition of something like justice, it changes based based on our last, you know, our latest social whim or whatever the mob says, when we do not believe in absolute truth, when you don't believe that there is a supreme moral lawgiver, God, who says what is and what it is, what isn't, what's right and what's wrong, well, then justice is arbitrary, truth is arbitrary, morality is arbitrary. So you've got a million different people yeah. all crying out for justice right now, social justice right now. They all mean a million different things. The founders of this country knew that justice meant one thing, and they didn't manifest itself, they didn't manifest that perfectly when they founded the country. But by the grace of God, we've gotten closer and closer to that 
Now it seems like we're going backwards yeah. because we've rejected objective justice, but we've got to go back there if we're going to actually move forward. What's the end game for this as a society? Because I keep thinking about this in the terms of racism, where racism forever has always meant like you don't judge someone by the color of their skin. You judge right. them by the content of their character. Now we're in this world of, you know, white fragility where you're just racist because you're white and there's a system around you and you'll always be racist and, it's, and you'll always be terrible. Yeah. It, it, like, I feel like you look down this road and, and you, it, you outline, I think, a path to escape it in the book. But like this road where we're redefining words, where there is everyone has their own truth, right. where words mean different things and, and these concepts we can't agree on. It's not a civilization after a while. Yeah, we could talk about this for two hours to come. I've had a lot of interesting guests on my podcast talk about something called critical theory, which really calls into question any kind of objective morality or truth whatsoever. That's what where Robin D'Angelo is coming. That's uh, where this anti-racist and social justice movement is coming from, that there isn't an objective right or wrong. It is based on the perspective of the perceived oppressed, that they get to say what is right and wrong. And you, as a white male, you can't say, hey, I didn't, uh, what I said wasn't racist. That's not in my heart. That's not what I meant, because you are not the oppressed. And so I think the end goal is an obliteration of any kind kind of objectivity or at least Christian objectivity or conservative objectivity. I guess it's their own form of objective truth. Anyway, we don't want to get too complicated. I think the end goal is a social justice revolution that, um, redistributes power from the people that they perceive as the oppressor to the people that they perceive as the oppressed. And in that way, I mean, it's like every kind of cultural revolution that has ever happened in a communist country. It doesn't end well. Yeah. And, it, and the person, whoever's oppressed is always going to be different. It's going to keep changing and changing. You're going to have to change the rules over right. and over again. You never have a foundation. It's a book that is really needed right now. Ali Beth Stuckey, host of Relatable right here on Blaze TV, as well as the author of the upcoming book. Comes out Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Yes. August 11th. Pretty exciting. Yes. Pretty exciting. You're not enough. And that's okay. Escaping the toxic culture of self-love. August 11th is the date it's out. Don't miss a minute of Ali, of course, uh, with your subscription to Blaze TV. You can always get one at blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Allie, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you so much. All right, back in a second. Good news. Your reviews on iTunes now mean 12% more to me uh, than before. So that's a, that's a good upgrade. Uh, this one comes from Crenshaw 2024, a daily show worth tuning into. Stu's humor strikes the perfect balance between impressive wittiness and lowbrow immaturity. Not only do you get the jokes, though, you actually get real news along the way. The show is informative, funny, and entertaining throughout, kind of what the Daily Show wishes it could be, but isn't. Five freaking stars. Thank you. A hole in the sky where a tree once was. Somebody's making money. Stu does a great show. Stu is America. For some, it's a show. For some, it's a podcast. For me, it's the most entertaining 45 minutes of my day. Whether you're on the road and want to listen to a great podcast or you want to watch this entertaining show on YouTube or Blaze TV, this show does not disappoint. I guess what I'm really trying to say is it's great. Whatever. Five freaking stars. How about that? We have so many more. We'll get to more of your reviews. Do it on iTunes. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Joining me now, the one and only Pat Gray, of course, host of Pat Gray Unleashed right here on Blaze TV uh, and also uh, 
somewhat of a purveyor of scrumptiouscookie.com. Yes. Uh, I mean, you don't do any of the work. None. Absolutely (laughs) zero of the work. You do the most important work, which is bring the cookies in here occasionally. Yeah, that is important, right? Yes. That is is my favorite And I do eat some of the cookies myself at home, so that's another taste tester. Gotta have one, right? Yeah, that's true. Gotta have one. Gotta have one. Um, So let's uh, talk about uh, football, because this is really all... (laughs) As, as usual, all I care about. Um, the, the sports thing I'm torn on because they are not making it easy to watch. They're not. It's nonstop. Oof. Black Lives Matter, um, which, again, is a communist organization, a Marxist organization. They say it in their own words. Dedicated to tearing apart the nuclear family. Yeah. Yeah. And that is just put, put out there as if it's the, just the greatest thing. It's like, hey, you know, what? we should all stand up to cancer. You know, that, that, that's how it's that's presented. What, yeah. like we should all stand up. What are you, for cancer? <laughs> and they really make it difficult to watch. Have you watched any NBA, any Major League Baseball? I started to, and then I saw the whole thing about the Black Lives Matter organization, and I, t- I turned it immediately. Right. I, thought, I, I can't, can't do it. it. Can't do it. Now, you're not super dedicated to the NBA or baseball. No. What you are dedicated to college, college football. football. Now, you are a big BYU fan. Yes. Let's start here. Does BYU have a season this year? Not much of one right now. They've lost uh, six games from their uh, schedule, and really seven if you can include Alabama, because once they lost the first six, then they lined up a game with Alabama that was going to be played if the SEC would have done, you know, a fairly normal season or played even uh, conference only plus one, which Mm -hmm. some conferences are doing. So we lost that one, too, because they went conference only. Uh, so, yeah, they've been very adversely affected by it. They're talking about other um, possibilities, but it's really hard right now because they don't, you don't, nobody knows what exactly is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, because BYU is, is one team and they have a difficult situation because they're an independent and there's mm-hmm. going to be more challenging. But and you see, as you say, like some conferences are doing conference plus one. Are they? Is any conference actually going to play any games or is this entire thing going to be canceled this year? That's a possibility. And if you're putting a percentage on it, what do you think right now? I feel to me as a I'm not a huge college football fan. I'm much a lot more NFL. To me, it feels like we're 60, 70 percent just not having these games. Is that crazy? I, I would have put it at 50 maybe. But okay. yeah, it, it could be higher than that on not having a season. Uh, wow. UConn, who's also an independent, just canceled their whole season. Just said, nope, we're not going to play. Wow. OK, well. Uh, at all? <laughs> uh, apparently, you don't like college football as much as I do. Yeah. <laughs> I said no. So, um, And maybe that's because Connecticut is so close to New York, and they had a problem because Connecticut is kind of suburban New York, and maybe there's just too many it's True, cases. but if they're past their worst part of their problem. You know, they did the yeah. Cuomo thing and just infected everyone, and then and they said, hey, what a great job we did. We don't have any more cases. <laughs> just great. All the vulnerable people are dead, right. so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Honestly, like, you know, yeah. we've been talking about that with the gym owners in New Jersey. Like, they're no longer in an outbreak zone, and they still won't open. Um, you know, UConn is not in an outbreak zone right now. I mean, the cases, cases are low in that area. Yeah. I mean, I think it's beneficial to think about these things. And we always get into like, well, Sweden's, you know, cases versus the United States and they start comparing. It's like, I think it's probably smart to look at the United States as about five different countries on that scale. Mm -hmm. The Northeast country isn't really having much right now. And there's no reason for, of all places, Yukon to cancel. Right. And a lot of this doesn't make sense, though. It's it's, they're running on emotion right now. Yep. And fear. And fear. Um, So, so, uh, 
that was you know, all that stuff happened back in, a, in another era before the Pac-12 players made a very important series of demands yeah. um, that I think are going to change the world. They, uh, they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about time somebody finally made these demands. <laughs> yeah. Completely reasonable. Uh, there's quite a, there's several of them, but okay. they're all, as I mentioned, really reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, health and safety protections. Okay? Totally they're, reasonable. They're asking for uh, protection against COVID-19 as best they can, and I think that's completely reasonable. Mandatory safety standards, a uh, mm-hmm. bunch of measures for, in their protocols. Totally reasonable. Then they want to protect all sports, not just football, which I think is really generous of the football players. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they have to do with it, but I, I don't either. It's nice of them to but think But they of. cared about the basketball team and volleyball, and so uh, they extended that. Now, if these demands aren't met, by the way, they're not going to play this year. Okay. Anybody in the so Pac-12. These all have to be met. Yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, they want a little economic freedom and equity, uh, guaranteed medical expense coverage. Okay, medical expenses. Medical coverage. expenses. Okay, so yes. well, that's that's related Makes to COVID. sense, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they also want uh, uh, their name, image, and likeness rights and representation. Well, that doesn't it's, seem like it's COVID related. Not exactly. Really. It veers off ever so slightly. <laughs> yeah, I, COVID road. I noticed a little nuance there. Yeah. In that one. Uh, they also want fair market pay rights and freedoms. Uh, for instance, fifty percent of the revenue from the Pac-12 distributed uh, equally among the players. So half the money that half comes the money in that comes in goes to the players, which changes, of course, the whole dynamic uh, of college. It's sports. Really not college football. No, it's really not. No, it's that's really like a minor league for the NFL at that point. <laughs> right. So would that be fascinating to anybody? I don't think, I think so. so. Most minor leagues are not particularly successful. <laughs> right. Uh, people aren't all excited about major league baseball. And you might also minor say baseball. You might also say, Stu, that veers off ever so slightly from the COVID road. <laughs> I had, thought, I had forgotten about that, but yes, it yeah. does seem like it's a it's it's an offshoot, a, yes. a slight offshoot. Yes, there. Uh, there's another slight offshoot in that uh, they want six-year athletic scholarships to foster undergraduate and graduate degree completion. Mm. Uh, they want the elimination of big paydays for coaches and administrators. So they want the pay cut for their coach and the administrators of the college. And what, did they give a date on this one? Do they need to have this? Uh, they did not. I, I believe it has to happen before the season starts. Otherwise, they're not going to play. Okay. All right. So the Pac-12 doesn't have a lot of time. No, but but but, but so far, I mean, like yeah, I guess they could cut could do that. salary, right? Like I mean, there's yes. some path to this. Anything else? Um, just this one little thing. Um, they want an end to racial injustice. In sports and in society. <laughs> um, that's so good. So That's a big ask, Pat. It's for a the big Pac-12. ask, but we're talking about the Pac-12. Yeah. Right? I, I think they should have also included hunger and poverty in that. Yeah. As well, long as we're going for it, let's go. What about combination skin? Who's taking care of that? No one. No one cares. The heartbreak of psoriasis. Is that okay? Yeah, no, no. That's no. not okay. Why doesn't the Pac-12 get on that? I, I kind of feel like this no. is a big enough problem that maybe the NCAA needs to be involved. Because I think if the NCAA yes. came in, then they could really cure all that's an organization all sports that's, and also society. Yes, they care about people, and they're really good at what they do. This is, it's embarrassing. It is. And it's, it's, it's similar to what you're seeing in government, too, where you know, people are using COVID to essentially push through all of their hopes and dreams for the past two decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you just read there is just a, a union demand list from players. Like, exactly. Uh, we want all this fun stuff. Give it to us or we're not going to do anything. Right. 
That's not a COVID-related demand. I I don't know. Do you do a couple of those things just to try to... I mean, obviously, you you tell them, okay, yeah, we're doing the safety protocols. That's done. That's 100% uh, rational and understandable. And then then you say, get your butt back up on the field and let's practice and get ready for the season. And if you don't, we'll pull somebody else in here. Yeah. You don't have to come. Right. You know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people who want to play college football. You're receiving a scholarship. You're getting a free education. We're showcasing your talents for the NFL and your future vocation, hopefully. Um, So they've already said that if you have a scholarship and you decide, you know what, the COVID thing is freaking me out. I'm going to take a year off. Right. They'll still honor the scholarship the next year. Right. Which is reasonable. Yep. And they are doing that. So uh, the the whole thing is just and the the Big Ten players are now saying, yeah, we're on board with what the Pac-12 said. So this thing could really spread throughout the country. And, and, you know, maybe there could be a college football season. But if they keep doing this kind of stuff, there's not going to be one. And they're saying, uh, what was the publication that said it was rational? Oh, yeah. The, uh, Doug Robinson, who's a columnist at the Deseret News, wrote an article that uh, their demands were completely reasonable. <laughs> and, and overdue. 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 <laughs> Look, I mean, do I think it's overdue that racism goes away? Sure. Of course. Although we need to be a little, is there any pragmatism that, that seeps in here where we understand you can't actually get rid of all racism in a couple of weeks so that people can play football in the Pac-12? Well, you're forgetting. It's the Pac-12 we're talking about. <laughs> I know. You keep bringing that it's up. the Pac-12. Okay. Surely they can solve this if anybody can. Right. right. Yeah, they're on the borderline, <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> um, this is all a... Uh, sort of a on the on the tree of lineage here from what's going on in politics. It's they're just essentially imitating what what is happening in the Democratic Party right now. They're yeah. just I mean they, we all understand that you know this is they do all this they do this stuff all the time when it comes to politics where they'll just take one of these issues and blow it up out of proportion, make unreasonable, impossible demands, and when they're not met, they just call you a racist. Right. That's what we're seeing throughout politics. We're going to see it all the way till November for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, in their efforts, I guess, to get a man elected who can't even pronounce the words we're talking about. It's, right. it's a bizarre thing to watch. It is. Uh, it, it's been incredible to watch. And it's, again, confirmation of their theory that you never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. That's what's happening in politics. That's what's happening with the Pac-12 football players. They're not letting this crisis go to waste. And the only way I can really like in- internalize it is to just make it feels like it's a TV show. Like I'm just watching yeah. this really bad TV show with really annoying characters. But this is actually happening to us. Yeah, it would be nice country. if you could turn it off. Wait. Yeah, it doesn't work. No. It doesn't work that way. No. Um, who do you think is going to be the VP pick? Any vibe I think on it's that? Kamala. You Harris. think it's Kamala? It does seem like everyone is kind of settled on that i mean rice is still in this picture somehow hard to believe susan rice she brings a lot of baggage especially from the uh benghazi situation mm-hmm. now she claims she did nothing wrong she's been exonerated everybody looked into it they found nothing wrong oh, she lied through her teeth multiple times so did obama so did biden so they're all culpable but i don't know how you add her with all her baggage i don't think you and, can and not to mention her role in this spygate right situation which is really right. Really ugly as well. Um, I, I feel like there's this temptation from the Biden campaign to try to please the Bernie and the Warren people with someone who's really far left. Mm-hmm. The other way to go is to say, no, let's take someone who's this is, you know, there's nobody in the middle on the Democratic Party. I mean, when they choose Joe Manchin, I mean, they're not they're not going to do this. Yeah. Um, but someone who's at least seen as somewhat moderate so that they can go after the middle, you know, the middle of the road. People who maybe 
are undecided ideologically, don't really like Donald Trump because of his attitude or all the kind of chaos, the chaotic feel that we have. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't like his coronavirus stuff or whatever it is. They can be won over. If you're the you're a you're a strategy guy with the Democrats, which one are you doing? I'm doing Kamala. Uh, as long as I've locked myself into the women-only pick to begin with, right, which yeah. you shouldn't have done in the first no. place. How can you limit the field by 50% just immediately, yeah. and you're not going to consider anybody else? doesn't make any sense. Biden has crossed some interesting lines on that one in particular, because there is always this thing. Everyone knows identity politics has existed for a long time, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we know that they pick vice presidential picks based on all sorts of characteristics. Right? Like, was Geraldine Ferraro really the best <laughs> choice? I, I doubt it. It is a sincere way. But they've come out to be more explicit about it. I mean, Biden is it used to always be, oh, I picked a I picked a black female and uh, she just happened to be the best one. And maybe she was the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they at least told us they were looking for the best available person and it just happened to be a black female. Now, Biden is saying, I will not, if there is a better option uh, for a vice president as a male, I will not select him. That's explicit. They're like basically telling you this is affirmative action world. Exactly. And they don't, I think they've gotten, they've gotten to the point where they think we've progressed far enough to where that's okay. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. And people will just accept it. And they kind of did. And they kind of did. At least the they Democrats did. did. I mean, they probably didn't even accept it. They cheered it on. Yeah, they liked right? it. I mean, the same thing with his Supreme yeah. Court um, uh, nominee. He is taking, there's 100% of the people out there, right? Mm-hmm. He's saying, I want a woman. Okay, we're down to 50%. He has said, I want a person of color. So now you're down to what? 20% of the population, mm-hmm. roughly. I mean, minority is probably a 30% minority in this country, so maybe 15% of the population. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm throwing out random numbers, but it's relatively close to that number. You're eliminating 85% of available candidates? Doesn't make any sense. For what? Right. You know, I mean, like, that's not to say that, like, they're certainly very well, like, Clarence Thomas was the best option, right? Yeah. He was just better than all the white people or women or anyone else available for that job. He continues to be the best. He continues to be the best. Yeah. That wasn't a, an affirmative action pick. That was a pick to say, this person's the best one and we don't care what he looks like. That is something that's abandoned by the left now, explicitly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing the things they admit to now. They admit... Uh, that it's about identity politics. They admit, so, in some cases, they're socialists and Marxists. Uh, they uh, they admit that uh, violence isn't really a bad thing when it's something they yeah. agree with. And they admit about looting. Looting's not a big, a terrible thing. Even gathering during a pandemic is fine. Yes. As long as it's for the right, uh, right solution, everything's fine. Yep. Amazing. Uh, one last one. Um, we're pretty much out of time, but Glenn Beck, does he get in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> That's a hard question because... Well, you know he doesn't deserve it. I'm asking no, if he gets No, of course in. he doesn't deserve it. Also, you're, you're eliminating the fun aspect if you say that he's going to get in because right. that, that <laughs> suggests people are going to go with the non-funny answer. Right. The NP- NPR show, whatever right, it's yeah, called. Whatever. Wait, what? Right. I Wait. think that's what it is. Is that what it is? Something like that. <laughs> Wait, huh? People, Wait, what did you say? Or something like that. Like, yeah, something. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, I think he'll get in this You think time. he will this time? I do. Yeah. You think he would improve his chances if he were to identify as a different gender? Oh, absolutely. That's what he should do. Yeah. I think you do that, you get in. Right. First or transgender broadcaster in the radio. Trans, 
If he's if he's a trans person, he identifies as a woman now. I think he's in. That's big. Yeah, that would be big. I mean, yes, it would. again, we've helped him all this way. Why not help him one more step? Pat Gray, host of Pat Gray Unleashed right here on Blaze TV. Be sure to subscribe to him uh, on YouTube and consider subscribing to Blaze TV for all of his content and mine and Glenn's and everybody else. Just head to Blaze TV dot com slash stew. Make sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Pat, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you. All right. Back in a second. Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. Chris Cuomo is worse.com. It's all up there now. You got the masks, you got the mugs, you got the t shirts. They're all up there for you to get. More popular than google.com right now, I'm told. Uh, get your stuff. We'll see you next week. <laughs>